0: why does live theater matter? We answer that question and more this week on Only Stupid Answers. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Only Stupid Answers. This is the show where we answer your questions about movies, TV shows, comic books, uh, and this week, live theater. I'm your host, DJ Woldridge. With me, as always, is Roxy Stryer. Hi, Roxy.
1: Hi, DJ. You want to know the realization I'm having live on air right now? Yes,
0: please share.
1: There's a girl staying with me this week, and she definitely left the coffee pod and the Keurig, and now my tea tastes like coffee, DJ. Oh, no. Oh, no. (laughs) Tea I already spilled this morning, and not in the fun kind of tea spilling way. It's been a morning. It's
0: been a morning, and you just have to spill the rest of it and make some new tea
1: uh on my laptop this time I'm gonna spill yeah. the tea. unless Hopefully it's in the drain
0: unless unless you want to unless you you know maybe you spill more and you just got to go through the other side
1: yes Only, she
0: really doesn't understand how to spill the tea She's no. really confused about.
1: It. i heard about it once so i tried it
0: yeah i, actually, you it like right? I tried i don't <laughs> i don't i don't i don't understand it. What, who's that I other voice
2: wait it's our very why, special guest. Why do the kids love doing this? Why do they?
1: They <laughs> love spilling the tea. I just kept hearing about spilling the tea. I think it's kind of overrated.
2: Yeah, seems
0: like it might have ruined my laptop. Uh, <laughs> Malcolm, the kids at home can hear your voice. For those DJ, that aren't familiar, who are
2: you? <laughs> well, let me tell you something. if you aren't familiar with me, I don't know why you're watching this episode <laughs> of Only Stupid Answers. Mm. Um, but my name is Malcolm Barrett. I'm most known for acting for the last 20 years. Uh, you can, I guess I can name shows if they're, uh, uh, you know what, Sag's not watching us. Uh, <laughs> I can I can confirm they are not. <laughs> <laughs> um, some off-the-air shows that I'm on yes. are, uh, where Preacher and Timeless and Better Off Ted and stuff like that. Um, and then there's shows I'm on now, I guess I'm not supposed to talk about them, but I can if it's... If it's a strike, I think so. So, so for the sake of the strike, yeah, I'm on average Joe and Changeling, yeah, because uh, um, that's what I'm talking about today is the strike, yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I also rap and do a lot of stand up comedy. I'm gonna be by the time you guys see this, I'll probably be uh, doing a uh, fucking stand up somewhere
0: yeah 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 yeah. yeah. you're actually i think you're uh doing it if i recall you're doing a show tonight with front of the show jay washington
2: yes with jay yeah. washington i'm doing a show at the improv and then i think on the sixth i'm doing a show at flappers and other shows that come up I'm sure yeah.
0: there's other people on that show too but they haven't been on our show so our show so i don't care about them <laughs> all that's
1: all that we care that's about that's
0: all we yeah, care true. about so, little business up top. As always, if you'd like to watch this show without ads, if you'd like to see it live, if you'd ch- like to check out Patreon-exclusive shows like uh, spider Versity or our Q&A, you can do that over at patreon.com slash onlystupidanswers. Uh, if you give us a five-star review on uh, iTunes, that's the one. Uh, we really appreciate it. On Spotify, every week, we ask you all a question. Last week's question was a poll. Would you ever give stand-up comedy a try? The options oh. were, I have... I haven't, but I would, I would never. So before Roxy can cheat, she can look at the doc. Don't look at the doc, Roxy.
1: Okay, I haven't.
0: How do we think this- I
1: haven't, but I would.
0: But you would. How do we think this shook out with our audience? The three options against were: I have, I haven't, but I would, I would never.
1: I'm not trying to throw shade at half of our audience, but the I haven't, but I would people are a little full of crap, right? (laughs) Like you can't just sit like, I haven't gone- on a rocket ship, but I would like if the opportunity for, presented itself. Yeah, it just doesn't <laughs> count for anything. So um, I don't know that I trust any of those people. Yeah. So I feel like that probably won because okay. nobody can be trusted these days.
0: Uh, Malcolm, how do how do you think this poll shook out? Uh, if you had to guess, and you do because I asked you to.
2: I think it's thirty three percent for everything. I think, okay. I think it, I think <laughs> right. it's going to be. I think a lot of people are going to be like I'm definitely a stand up even mm-hmm. though I've done zero. Yes. Yep. <laughs> and then someone's going to be like oh yeah I would I would definitely do that probably. Yeah. Uh, if I, if I thought about it. Listen, I have and a then, set in
0: my head, it'll be perfect. I know it. Yeah. I I would de- if open mic just presented itself in front of me, I'd be good to go.
2: <laughs> no way I didn't kill. Yeah, yeah. And then there's some weird 33% of people who don't want attention. So I think
1: that'll <laughs> exist anymore. Who doesn't want attention? What I don't know.
2: It's an attention
0: so. economy. What are we doing? Okay, so here's how uh broke down 43% for I have, 14% for I haven't, but I would, and forty-three percent for I would never.
1: So okay. I was super wrong. Forty-three percent of our audience has tried stand-up.
0: So they claim
1: um liars. <laughs> Cannot confirm, liners. but
0: that but they that is that is what they claim. Wow. Um,
2: so that's your crowd, that's your audience, that's your demographic. Is, yes, is yeah, yeah, yeah. ups
1: Well, okay. In all fairness, it does make sense on the episode that we had stand up Mark Ellis come on to talk about stand up. That a lot of people listening to that episode, in fact, yeah. have tried stand up and were interested in listening to the episode because they are stand up. So yeah. I should have outsmarted the system on that one.
0: So. Malcolm, I think you've been doing stand up for as long as I've known you. How long have you been doing? For all the stuff you do, where to stand up? When did you start doing that?
2: It's a it's a weird number. Um, me and me and stand up been uh, off and on dating. Um, I probably started doing stand up twenty years ago in New York. Okay, um, handful of times. I wouldn't. I couldn't even say I did st- sketch comedy a ton and and just different types of things. But I probably only did stand up maybe ten times. Okay. um and then about two three years ago you know I've been friends with I got a friend group with a couple stand-ups a um, little oh. chat group I'm like the only non-stand-up in it and at some point they were like hey you should do it you know one of them had a show they were like you should come on it blah blah, blah. and then I did it and I got addicted again I was like well this is great you know and it's an so outlet particularly you know when you get frustrated in the acting world to be able to have a voice and go here's here's what I have to say and also build a name for yourself so I've probably been doing it hardcore for the last three years um, and still not nearly as much as my friends, my buddies who really do this. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm never going to catch up to them because they've been doing it as their primary job for, you know, 10, 15 some odd years. Um, but probably the last three years, I've really been going hard, um, particularly because they're like, hey, you're not. I, I remember I got an email from. Um, I went to like my agents, and you know they're not great at representing me for anything that isn't just acting. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like, you know, I'm doing stand up, and they were like, you're not ready. And I was like, fuck them, man, you <laughs> know. And I went to my went to my friends. I was like, they said I'm not ready, and they were like, well, how often are you doing stand up? I was like, uh, you know, once a month or every two months or three months or four months, and they, and they all were like, you're not ready. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. So I've been spite performing. I've been gotcha. performing in spite. I respect <laughs> it. Has. A couple of months just going intense. Yeah. just to prove something to everyone else,
0: really. I, I respect that because I feel like I have a similar instinct when somebody's like, well, you can't do it. And I'm like, fuck
2: you. Fuck yeah. you, I can't do it. I <laughs> would you say I have any limitations whatsoever? Yeah. That's crazy.
1: It is super challenging, though, when you decide you want to be a multi-hyphenate to figure out like how much of the other thing that is paying you significantly less than the thing that you're good at and more established in that you could actually be spending your time in. It's like a very tricky balance, and it's also challenging to find representation and a support system that allows you to not just be one thing what's uh what's the plan of attack here for you are you going to just say the big f you and keep going down the stand-up path while also acting and rapping
2: yeah that's that's pretty much it you know (laughs) it's really i mean the same thing happened for writing like and honestly it's one of those things that i probably pick up more when there are lulls like, when the pandemic happened is when I started writing more, you know, yeah. you know and, and Black Lives Matter was at its height. And so I started. was really intense and focused on really trying to pitch a bunch of shows and, and writing a bunch of shows. And it took a little bit for my team to get on board, but eventually they, they did. Um, and, and that's just kind of how it is, you know what I mean? You kind of always have to prove yourself in some other arena. And to an extent, it makes sense, you know what I mean? It's just like you know, when I got started as getting rents by these folks as an actor, I had some acting behind me, you know what I mean? I had some proven paychecks behind me. Um, and so, you know, I think that's always sort of the thing for everyone in this industry is like, uh, I have no faith in you until you show me, you can completely do this and overcome in every single way. Then I'll definitely back you, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, and so it's, it's that sort of thing. So
1: I just, And then they'll say, I believed in you from the start.
2: Yes. (laughs) I was always there.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Today's the day I'll start believing in you from the beginning. Right. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) um, So I just kind of do it, man. I'm, you know, stand up writing, rapping, whatever it is. I just kind of do it. You know, it's, I think it's going to be hard for me. I I always appreciate seeing the folks who are able to do all these things at that level. Um, And so, you know, for me, it always takes a distraction or something not happening like now we're in a strike you know so i'm like time to do stand-up every day of my life you know um which i guess kind of proves one you know my success successes at acting but two probably that's where my passion is you know my passion is at the acting and it's always going to be what i do
0: yeah absolutely Uh, but i I do got to say because because obviously the last few years have been tumultuous let's say um and i and i have a lot of respect for the way that you've been able to pivot into other things when like when covid lockdowns are happening so you're not on set so you started doing your your show on instagram and stuff like that and now you know the strike's going on so you're doing stand-up um i've always mm-hmm. thought that i've always respected that about you your ability to pivot
2: yes yeah I gotta pivot i mean when the when the uh was it when a pandemic happened i think that's when i started going into voiceover trying to do voiceover finding reps for voiceover and all that because i didn't yeah. know if acting was going to keep going or, yeah. or how long you know it was a really indefinite period for us as performers you know and folks yeah. weren't even doing stand-up at the when that's yeah. when we were at the height of the pandemic because it was just like you know we're not sure we're allowed and to be around each other so i was like voiceover it's me in a booth um you know so it's i always feel like that uh that scene in, in the biggie movie with, with puffy we're just like you put me out in the jungle yeah. and I, i'm make a fur coat out of lion yeah. you know what i mean like yeah. I, just, I don't know I was more Tracy Moore than Puffy. <laughs> But there was, it was, it was a little Tracy in there. Yeah yeah.
1: yeah. yeah. It's the Picasso. You take my paints and I'll paint with my finger and water or whatever it is. Um. Well, what?
2: That's me talking to my friend who's been doing acting class. Yeah. <laughs> oh,
1: Bring her, have her tell us what she
2: learned in it. Let's go. Get- yeah, let's get her on let's get her
0: on let's do it um i also i also appreciate the fact that you were like you have friends that do stand-up and you're like oh man i could do this because i'm the revert like i'll see you know i'll see mike do stand-up it's like well i'm never i'm never going to be as good as this so i'm just not going to try i'm just not yeah. going to even bother trying
2: there's definitely some days it feels like that there's definitely some days like i started following more comics on instagram and i'm uh, and every once in a while I'll see something. I'm like, that's pretty funny. What am I doing? Like, mm-hmm. what am I What am I adding to the freaking populace? Yeah. <laughs> telling jokes. Like, what? who Who needs that?
1: Well, you did uh, say earlier, you were. Uh, you said something interesting, like the friends who had been doing it for so long, you'll never catch up. I didn't know that. Do you feel like there's a direct correlation between how long you've been doing it and how good you are?
2: 100%. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I think, I mean, they have tons of experience. I mean, and also the friends I'm talking about, like, it's like you can watch Deaf Comedy Jam and see their old performances. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it, yeah. it's the the span of, of what they're doing and the experience that they have is, is so great. And I learned that even coming back because, you know, I was cocky when I first started doing stand-up and I was cocky when I came back doing stand-up. Like, I was like, I did it. I was like, it's my time again, you know? And then I think the second time I performed after that, was like the driest crowd yeah. I had ever just like a crowd of fifteen. And I was like, what? Oh my God. And I think I did, I stopped maybe just short. I didn't take as many pauses. It was my friend Eric's the second time he had me do a show. And I just didn't take as many pauses because the crowd wasn't, you know, going crazy. Yeah. So I, I'm like, great. And there's my final joke and I'm like, all right, I'm getting out of here. Mm-hmm. And then Eric comes out, he's like, did you see the red light? I'm like, no. He's like and he comes out in front of the audience. He's like, hey, so you guys, Malcolm doesn't know anything about stand-up. Um, he's supposed to wait for the red light to go off. So I'm sorry, he's he's new to all of this. Okay, he's from theater. <laughs> so go go ahead and, and do more stuff. And at the time, I literally only had 10 minutes like yeah, yeah. I, li- I literally had 10 minutes of material that i marked out it was great and so now i'm, I'm fighting trying to find i'm looking through notes and trying to put these half written jokes i had in the back of my head together and go and then i finish i do what i think is probably about five six more minutes um because he's like you only went five minutes i was like oh my god okay Yeah. Fine. i go five six more minutes i go back in the dressing room and i'm like you know i felt like i I did 10 minutes. He was like, "Nah, man, you only did like five or six. I was like, okay, I recorded it. I guess I'll check it home. And one of the other stand-ups is like, or you could check now. And I was like, okay. And I check, and I'm like, I look at the time, and I'm like, Eric. He's like, what? I was like, man, I did nine minutes and 50 seconds. I was like, you made me do five more minutes. I was like, I did a 15-minute set. He's like, oh, all right. (laughs) He just moved on. And, you know, I think the idea was to teach me that it's never that you're, you're going to have times like this. You never mm-hmm. you're not necessarily going to be able to do your, you know, your prepared set in every environment. Like your yeah. time is going to change. the People are going to change. The responses are going to be different. And that's something you can only learn by experience. You can only learn how you how you personally adapt in the moment by experience you know what I mean that's not something anybody can teach you and so that's you know I I'm I'm even a much different stand-up than I was two years ago and yeah. that now I don't need to prepare a set like my first set it took me two months because I was like each of these jokes is going to be perfect and I've got it and blah, blah blah and this and that and now like I got a set tonight and I haven't practiced it at all um, I will at some point, but like I don't think about it as strongly because now I know how to press and play and plug and play jokes in my head. And I have more than one set. And so if I wanted to go and talk about alcoholism for a little bit, I can do that. If I want to talk about, you know, uh, uh, love life for a little bit, I can do it a, a little more um, organically than I, I would have been able to two years ago.
1: This episode is brought to you by Shopify.
0: I feel like in there was a perfect transition to our main topic. However, not having learned the lesson that you just relayed to me about adapting, I'm going to go into news instead. Um, So uh, we've got some big news this week. Obviously, we've been talking about the strike a lot on this show. But uh, both strikes, excuse me, the dual strikes, the (laughs) WJA has reached a deal with the AMPTTP um and it looks it is official right it's over as of 1201 a.m pst september 27th after 148 days the writer's portion of the strike has ended um uh to an
2: extent because they still have to ratify the uh contract
0: well and I, i was kind of wondering that was my understanding as well and depending on who i was reading it it felt like that was kind of like just a, a ceremonial and i was like i i don't know sounds like it's kind of a big deal sounds like it's kind of important to have happen
1: i don't yeah. see the writers not approving this deal um they obviously the people in charge for the the captains and the people who are negotiating yeah. negotiating with um your favorite word dj the mm-hmm. MPTP.
0: yeah they hey listen but even was, they didn't get it right in their memo all right so i'm okay. allowed to not be able to keep track of it
1: <laughs> i know they were clearly speaking on behalf of the writers though so the, the vote i i do kind of feel like it's already signed sealed delivered but you are right that it is is not technically yet
2: yeah they still they still have to vote on it. i think the the it's mostly folks have been mostly positive about it i think folks are more positive about this than it than a dj deal and a DGA <laughs> deal went through yeah um yeah, so
1: those mother efforts <laughs> didn't have to go on strike yeah <laughs> so uh, um you know saying. so
2: i think i think this one will, will, will more than likely uh get passed there's folks that had questions about the minimums and things like that and, and usually it's the um the screenwriters who have some some amount of issues because they feel like they get left back and all of the issues that have to deal with the rooms and and, yeah. and things like that um but um i think they got more in terms of you know responding to things like residuals and things like that and credits and, and ai protections i think there are more things where they not left behind same for variety writers
0: yeah yeah yeah. Were
2: you
1: guys able to look at all the deal points because the, you were you guys able to look to check out the deal points because the um ai one that you just mentioned had me super worried still and i'm kind of curious what the general consensus has been on it because they one of the concessions that they had to make and in negotiations this does happen but that you are still able to use work to train the ai and which to me just sounds like effing theft
2: you're still Um, able to use what
1: Work, work, people's work to train the AI. So the AI is still using people.
2: Yeah, but that's, that's but that's, that's not, that's not our tra- contract. Like whether you can use uh, AI, AI to uh, training people's work to use AI, our, our, our contract one, or, and I'm saying our contract, but it's really WGA, <laughs> but um, not having it directly in front of me, but the, the biggest things that got were. Um, you can't you can't use ai to write scripts you can't use AI if you have used ai um, you can't use it to undermine credit um, you can't use it to re re uh rewrite people's work um, um, things like that so the training of ai is going to be specific to if you run chat gpt mm-hmm. right that's not going to be to the wga and they also sent out I think they sent out but i only know because i'm i'm friends with writers so i went to a website that had all the the things out there um so i think it's i think it's available and open out um but but yeah the the ai protections there's about at least six or seven rules that that come off the top of my head that were directly um protecting the writers from the use of AI and having a credit. Uh, yeah I looked AI. at
1: all of that and some of them are really great but obviously looking forward to future contract negotiations when AI has been fully trained based off of all of their work. It just seems Yeah. Like we're entering into foreign territory right now right like yeah I mean a hundred percent that they figured out even like the six-person minimum rooms that they wanted across the board but they're only taking place on um certain rooms all of those concessions make sense the only one that i was like oh my gosh what is the future actually going to look like here is in regards to the ai because it's still existent in this sphere and there yeah. was going to be no way to completely shut that down it's just a scary premise and i i don't i'm curious how that ends up coming over to when in a couple of days sag sits down at the table whether or not that it's going to be translated there as well where they're able to use ai to train uh, or actual work to train AI because then in a few years when we're, people are renegotiating, this AI is going to be a behemoth. It's going to yeah. do all the things.
2: Yeah. But again, the, the actual AI of training the AI is not a thing that's like, cause that's going to be, that's a separate thing, but also it's why you're seeing all these lawsuits popping off right yeah. now. I know. Like there's a, there's a bunch of writers, um, either they be WGA or, um there's a couple novelists um you know i got a friend cecil who who's a comic book uh person i feel like dj may know her yeah um so i think there are lawsuits that are popping up directly relating to ai and all of the ones in the wga are directly related to how AMTPTP can use AI for the scripts. Like ours is AI can't write or rewrite literary material. Um, They will not be considered source material, so they can't be used to undermine a writer's credit. Um, Writer can choose to use AI when performing writer's services um, if the company consents and provided the writers um, have the applicable policies. Uh, Company must disclose to the writer if materials given to the writer have been generated by AI. the wga reserves the right to assert the exploitation of writers materials to train ai um, so that's i think that one addresses what you're talking
1: about well that is exactly what i'm talking about yeah,
2: yeah. they re- we the wga reserves the right to assert that exploitation of writers material to train ai is prohibited by the contract yeah
0: huh. yeah and it's in- it's interesting too because i've i've seen a few um, a few headlines that are like here's the one thing that is wrong with the wga da and always different things each headlines is, this is the one thing and i and i've seen some people online point out i think correctly that like listen man corporations are going to incorporate and they're going to try and do every in the next three years they're going to try and find every little loophole and wiggle room yeah. that they can't you know that you're totally. th- as great as this deal is you're going to have to babysit them and make sure they're not um they're I, not screwing people yeah, over. And I, that's just the reality. It's, I, you know, that's just the reality yeah. of existing in America in 2023.
2: <laughs> yeah. And honestly, like, look, these concerns that Roxy are, are talking about, and um, there's other concerns about the room minimums that she's talking yeah. about. These are all of the things that I think when you talk about is the contract 100% ready, like everyone's, it's definitely going. I think these are the concerns where it's like, well, this may not be 100% or these are the concerns that people are having that may not have it officially just go straight through right and that happens in negotiations as you said all the time like this is it's a big deal because i think we got three times the amount that they initially said they were going to give us in terms of the the uh dollar amount of the package um i think we got 233 uh million dollars and it was supposed to be 83 million dollars that was the most that they said and yeah. you know a lot of the things that they said they wouldn't move on they moved on and these were things they they said they wouldn't move on during the di- directors negotiation mm-hmm. um so yeah. it's very positive i think overall i think you know like you said i think there's always deterrence like it's always you know, you're always kind of dealing with, you know, if you ever deal with a basic, a basic contract with any TV show, you go in there, like, I would like this amount of money, and then they Mm -hmm. go, you would like to spit in your face. Mm -hmm. And then you go, can you spit a little less in my face and okay. give me five more dollars? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and so that's kind of how these things go. So you're 100% right in that. There's always going to be things where you're like, unless they give us everything that we ask for each time, there's 100% always going to be things that don't work. And we're, we're sore about losing. And, you know, that's kind of how these companies work. Even when they give you a thing, they're trying to create a loophole. Yep. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Even yep. if they go... Uh, You know, if you go, we don't want robots, they go, okay, well, we're not going to tell you what robots are. What if we use humanoids? Mm -hmm. And then also, um, we want to take away your money. they're gonna they're gonna find some loophole wherever they can and that's kind of the tricky thing and it's also kind of why it's disingenuous when they say that they're uh negotiating in good faith yeah um because they're not they're they're trying to give the least amount of thing possible yeah um and then the hope is that with sag that the games that the wga were were able to make we now can use as a prototype for for our contract
1: well, um and it's I- just
0: yeah, so I was going to ask you about that, is because obviously the SAGs needs aren't the same as WGA's needs. How much mm-hmm. of this do you think transfers over into when when uh, currently SAG is scheduled to uh, meet with them on Monday? How much of that do you think transfers over uh, and benefits them?
2: Okay, so th- th- it's a uh, it's a couple things, right? I think the hot ticket items will cross over. Like what yeah. what people don't realize, and I only really fully understood a little bit more this year because I got to sit into uh, the NETCOM meeting uh, for one day um, is that there's a billion things that we propose. And I'm exaggerating, but yeah. there's there's so many things that we propose from protections uh, for, for children. 12 pages.
1: To, 12, pages, would you say? 12 pages of things. Exactly, exactly. Yeah.
2: Like from protections to children, to um, diversity in hair and makeup, to... Um, protections about where we um, shoot, so that you know, if a woman has a miscarriage or has to have an abortion, that if somebody helps her out, they're not, you know, under penalty of law or threat of penalty of law. So there's a million items that. Do not make the headlines, yeah. right? So those items are going to be their own items, right? Um, but then the items that do crossover are things like protections against AI, yeah. um, success-based royalties, um, transparency in uh, streaming numbers, um, things of that nature, things related to how much goes into health and care, uh, pension. Um, I think they asked for a five percent raise. that went to four percent the next year, three percent. I think we're aiming for eleven percent. Mm -hmm. Um, So really, those top three items are going to be the things that that over, and then the value of the package, the idea that we, you know, they have the capacity to spend upwards of $200 million on a total package. Yeah. Um, Right. Because all of these measures, these proposals all cost money to an effect. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, So what is the dollar value of all of that? So I think the dollar value of the package. The protections like AI residuals, success-based uh, residuals. I think those are the sort of crossover items that are also the big-ticket highlighted newsworthy items. I think those things will cross over, and it just doesn't make sense for them not to. Yeah. There's
1: a lot of things that I I agree with everything you're saying, but there's a, a lot of things that I think will cross over as well. You know the the uh, transparency on numbers is a huge thing with streamers that already the WGA has paved the way for that. These streaming services are going to have to be more transparent with how many watch time hours there have been, no. which is of course going to benefit SAG in negotiations because that's already done. And that's something that SAG cared about as well. But then like Malcolm mentioned, there's of course things that are not making the headlines that are important to actors that, are not something that the WGA had to touch, like how many sides, uh, how many pages you have to learn of a script and when you have to get auditions in by what the turnaround Mm. time needs to be. You know, Things that actually affect actors' everyday life, um, week to week life, that of course is gonna look different than the WGA, but I think that most people in SAG and most actors are really grateful for WGA kind of kicking open that door because the main thing that it says is that SAG goes into this knowing that the AMPTP is full of shit in terms of what their line is? Like we will not cross this line. And now SAG can be like, okay, well, let's cut through that noise because obviously that's not true. You guys just did this. So that puts us at a completely different starting point than where the WGA had to start from and start a hundred days earlier from.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know. You know adam conover is probably going to be your best source of information for mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but uh but you know there's all of those big ticket items that we're talking about are all items that they said they wouldn't concede to yeah um from the very top like very very vocal about and when you looked at the contracts or our proposals and their counter proposals they're all things that they said that they had um that they offered no counter proposal to yeah Um, and so that's way different. Like there's a number of items where they ordered, they offered a counter proposal and maybe it's a little under the number or something like that. Or, or maybe they went, we'll have a meeting about, or, Mm -hmm. or they gave us the proposal itself. Right. But these three big items, um, success-based residuals, protections against AI's, um, transparency, these are all things they 100% said they wouldn't do. And when they offered a counter proposal, it said no counter proposal. Yeah. So we is exactly what Roxy said is that um they're full of shit, right? Like yeah. they're not operating in good faith, and they actually can give us all of these things. And in all honesty, the frustrating thing about this is that before streaming, we had these things. Yep. Right? We have ratings, right? We have success-based uh field-based residuals, right? We had um based on foreign residuals, right? Like we got paid. You know, if this is airing in Spain or France or Portugal, right? We had all of these things, and once streaming became a thing, they just decided not to do these things, yeah. right? And sort of that's how these contracts go: is that the minute they cannot give us the things they've previously given us, they'll not give it to us, yeah. <laughs> you know? And 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 that's kind of the pattern of, of uh, production companies or the major distributors, right? That happened when movies went to. T- television they were like we don't know how to pay people on television right like they went we don't know once television went to to videotape they were like we don't know how videotape works um we don't know how to really tell you how anybody gets videotapes like the money keeps coming in
0: but we don't really know how it's happening so what are we supposed to do i don't know
2: yeah i mean people forget that we didn't win residuals through negotiating we won residuals through strikes yeah right like people people keep forgetting that a lot of the things that we take for granted are things that we didn't negotiate for. We had to fight in a strike. Like the fact that uh, staff writers get a script fee yeah. was not negotiated, that was struck for, yeah. you know, like minimum in, minimum room size was negotiated, it was no. struck for. Uh, and so people forget how, one, how powerful strikes are, but two, how necessary they are. And three, how much they prove that the parent company and the, uh, the management is full of shit.
0: Absolutely. And I think it's um, uh, one thing I kind of hope for that, that maybe we can get even some more progress on with SAG is if I'm understanding the language correctly with the WJ um, deal, you know, like you were saying, that the, the um, uh, merit-based residuals and this idea of being more transparent with the numbers on the streamers, but it is kind of like, all right, we will take those numbers in a locked box and give them to the WGA, and then they will read them, and ba- and it's like, I'd like to just know. I think those should be public information. I think that would be yeah. great if we could get to that I'm point.
2: Not, I'm, I'm, yeah, and I'm not sure what um merit they're using to uh to, to do it publicly like right we're all used to nielsen from before yeah. and, and a third party and uh i haven't read or remembered it to, no. to the extent of knowing that it's a third party i know a previous version of their counter proposal was was exactly what you said yeah it was we will allow a writer and a WGA member to see the numbers and only them. And then if they put up
0: black smoke, it means that, and it's like, or (laughs) just help you. Like I find it really suspicious how closely you're trying to guard your numbers. Like, what aren't you telling us?
2: (laughs) Yeah, that was, that was the counter proposal. And I, and I I also hope it it fuels the folks. I I hope it fuels all the detractors. And I don't mean this in a gloating screw you sort of way. Um, You know, there, there were, Prominent entertainers, standups and actors who were like, well, if we expose the numbers, you know, they're all playing a numbers game. And, you know, we're striking ourselves out of a job because the money's not really there. No. Right. And here's the thing. The money is there. These are billion dollar companies. There's no there's no billion dollar anything that runs out of money. No. in the history of the world yeah right so what what we're really doing is it's they're playing a mix and match game they're playing a shell game it's like yes this show might not be as popular but the money is still there and then this yeah. other show that is popular that you haven't told us about the money is still there like apple's not running out of money yeah do you know what i mean yeah. like so you know for us to have a share is it, not that big a deal particularly when you have the ceo's who get 30 million dollar bonuses yep. um regardless of performance
1: yeah, yeah it's crazy how much their fear tactics have worked because people mm-hmm. in the industry not even talking about out of the industry but people in the industry our peers really do say things like but do they don't have the money and it's like yeah. how how they have convinced people that they don't have the money while taking home a $450 million check every two years. Yeah. Like, I'm looking at you, Zasloff. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at you, Iger. Like, yeah. it, it's, it's just insanity that they people really are so afraid and believe that if they ask for a, a living wage for their time, that the show will fold because they couldn't possibly have the money. And it's like, how can you think that when you know that the people at the very top are making tens if not hundreds of millions of dollars a year yeah that's yeah no, it,
2: it, it's exactly what you said it's the tactics I have <clears throat> I have a comedian buddy and he had pointed out to and I'm specifically referencing this how someone had said we're going to be striking ourselves out of the business and then I showed him the the initial form um because that's the other hard thing we're all kind of negotiating in a in, in a bubble right so the greater masses in order to not create panic, there's a bit of secrecy in order so that everything's not, you know, being turned into a thread and being misunderstood. Yeah, so so it's, it's very important how we disseminate information. And so I showed him the the, the proposal thing that said our total package would cost um, the companies 2%. Mm -hmm. All of the companies combined, the total value of the package would cost them 2%. And each of the companies, it would cost them less than a percent it would cost them a a percentage of 1%. And he saw it and was like, oh, (laughs) he was like, that seems doable. And he was like, yeah, but they're not talking about residuals. And I was like, oh, you don't understand that. Not us, not me, but um, the, the NegCon committee, right? The people who are involved and it's not just actors doing math. They've worked out the value of these packages, right? We have finance people on our side, accountants on our side, who are doing the numbers. So when we talk about residuals, they know how much that costs. They know how much a 5% raise over 110,000 members costs. You know what I mean? So it doesn't come out of nowhere. So when WGA said we want this 5% raise this year, 4% raise this year, 3% raise this year, success-based residuals, um, it was an understanding of how much this total value would be. Yeah. And I think people don't get that. I think people are like, well, it'll cost them tons. We don't even know how much it'll cost. We're like, no, we do. We, we do. We have mathematicians. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is a this is a set-based scale the same way we did when there were ratings for television, yep. for network television. We do for streaming. It's no. not, not that complicated. And they realize it costs the companies less than a percent. Even this amount that we've asked for or that the WJ has asked for will not change their bottom line yeah. At, at, yeah. At, at, at all.
1: How how yeah. have you been affected in the last 148 days? Has this been uh, a, had a huge effect on your life? Yeah,
2: I, I don't make any money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's 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 been the biggest effect is that I can't uh, work at all. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, you know, I feel fortunate in that I got work right before this happened. Yeah. So I wasn't in a state of fear like so many of my uh, SAG members, WGA members are, and I'm always kind of, you know, I I always say this, I grew up broke, and then when I moved to Hollywood, I got on TV and I went broke again. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not something I f- really fear um, yeah. in that regard, because um, I've, I've, I've gone there and come back at, at different stages of my life, um, and I live relatively humbly, so it's not, it's not that crazy. Well, I don't know uh, if you know
0: this, Malcolm, but you're on TV, so that must mean that you have like five Houses and several I have yachts because
2: I've seen your face is, is on the Monet. Screen, so that means I don't know if you know this. <laughs> yeah. This is this is the original Monet, yeah. Um, it's his that. yeah. This is this is actually this is actually a real humble brag. This is this is actually from Portia de Rossi,
1: yeah. I was
2: on a TV show with her, I was on That's better amazing. off, 10 and she was heavy the painting, yeah.
1: So, this... Portia de Rossi <laughs> made that for you.
2: Portion of Rossi made this one. That's Betsy better Mavis. than
1: Monet. Okay, <laughs> right? let's go.
2: Right. you yeah. dropping
1: the tea than me. Yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I'm spilling that tea, baby. Mm-hmm. So in
0: the chat, uh, Leonard Kim says, all people have to do is look up the financial statements of these companies. They're doing just fine. And I think, um, you know, obviously we are talking about these strikes are going on on right now, but there's also the auto workers and everything. And I do think, um, I hope because of the amount of tension these strikes get. Um, that and it appears that we are seeing a broader labor movement in the country, um, which I think is important for a lot of reasons, not the least of which um, context for the casual dystopia we live in is Malcolm was just talking about the, what actors could ask for. And one of the things was, yeah, if we're filming in a state that doesn't allow abortion and we have to figure that out, it's like, I, that's fucking wild that we have to think about that shit. Mm-hmm. Um, so hopefully, um, this I this makes me hopeful, uh, and and not just for our industry, but as as challenging as strikes are, as challenging as strikes are, as specifically as Michael was just talking about on the on the individuals that are part of those industries, um, and we're talking about auto workers, how it might uh, affect impact um, uh, people outside of that, or or just people that live in this country. It, I do hope that it, it seems like people have a broader understanding of why it matters. Which I really think is a is a uh, stark reminder of the L corporations have cr- have created for themselves that they have undone decades of convincing people that everything they do is right, and now people they've they've they pushed it so hard that like your average person's like, wait a second, <laughs> wait yeah. a second, am I being fucked over? And it's
2: like, yes, you are. I think, yes, I think, I think Elon Musk actually helped because people were like, wait. Maybe you're not rich because you're smart. Boom. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah.
0: He ruined it for the rest of them. It's like, if you could have just shut up, people would still think
2: <laughs> like, they're like, yeah, all rich people are smart. And yeah. like, you screwed, you screwed it up. Peter's Asloff screwed it up too. Cause people were like, how do you not sell Batman?
0: Yeah. <laughs> like,
2: yeah. How are you, how yep. are you not able to profit with Batman? With Batman. If you need to sell off Batman. What do you think you can sell better? Yep. What are you doing? Than, then ba- Batman.
0: Um, while we're talking about all this, um, you know, and we talked earlier about uh, uh, Malcolm. I'm excited ability. to see this segue, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Me. Here we go. I'm making it up on the fly. Malcolm was, uh, we talked a bit about Malcolm's ability to to pivot and all the things he does. One of those things is performing live theater. And there's currently an Indiegogo. There's a link in the whatever. If you're listening to this, watching this, there's going to be a link in the description okay. um, to go check it out. Uh, he's, he's on a play called Brushstroke. Malcolm, can you tell
2: us about that? Yes, so brushstroke is about uh, the government's efforts to um, use the nineteen fifties uh, art scene to uh, mm-hmm. weed out socialists and um, propagate um, democracy. Yeah. Um, and so there was there was secretly a program um, that I can't remember off the top of my head mm-hmm. um, that was <laughs> that was specifically aimed at going at the beat mix and the, and you, and the art scene of the fifties and in New York to, um, to sort of gain, uh, national interest and again uh, to create patriotism and, and, um, also rooting out who may be, you know, rooting out artists who may be, uh, um, you know, communists, but at the same time using that sort of, uh, counterculture art to promote American ideals. Yeah. And so I play, um, I play a patriot and an art enthusiast mm-hmm. who is uh, <laughs> who is uh, doing his best to uh, operate with that objective. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You
1: know, is that a so, side wink that we just threw out yeah.
2: there? <laughs> there's an there's amount of uh, intrigue and surprise in a play and an amount of comedy in a play. Yeah. And so it's a. Uh, oh, great. Uh, and so it's. Uh, it, it's kind of like there's certain secrets i can't tell there's so yeah. much, like there's a couple reveals that are pretty early so i'm like well there is there's best.
0: literally a government agent right now off camera like you can't <laughs> yes you can't, people the red can't. Laser,
1: yeah.
2: <laughs> so what did yeah. you
1: how did you feel the first time you read it were you like oh this is definitely something i want to be a part of
2: uh yeah i definitely did i definitely read it like oh this is like uh this is like super interesting Um uh, um, and also playing like playing a patriot was interesting for me, particularly um, one at this point in, in in one as a black person, it's always like there's always a weird thing about patriotism to this government. Right. But two, as a modern day citizen, watching our government, watching a, an insurrection mm-hmm. aided by members of our government while, you know, the leading GOP candidate is, you know, under... Indictment for ninety-one felonies, and and watching what it means to be a patriot, and watching people claim patriotism while um, while supporting someone who who supported an insurrection. Yeah. It, it, it's it's always an interesting idea of like what does it mean to be a patriot in America, and who does it most benefit? And so that was interesting for me to do that in a nineteen fifties world,
0: yeah. and as a
2: black man today, but also in a nineteen fifties world. And what's interesting is that. You know, John didn't write it to be a brother. Um, he just wrote it, and then you know, me and him, John Ross Bowie is the writer. Um, if you don't know, he's he's also an actor. He's been in tons of stuff, um, and we know each other because we had been in a callback. And you know, when you're in a callback with folks, we're not a callback, a screen test. We're a screen test with folks. You kind of stick with each other because you're like, it was me or you, mm-hmm. you know. And it wound up being Alfonso Rivera. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what role that me, John Ross Bowie, and yeah. a were we're all going for. But um, but he wrote it, he wrote it just to be whoever. Right. Probably white because he's white, yeah. um, but he he, he did, gave it to me. And it's interesting because there's a line uh, my, my character is very patriotic. And and there's a line where he's talking about all the things that we as a government have fight, fought for. And there's a line about um, segregated lunch tables and this and that blah blah and he was like should i take that out and i was like god no don't take that line out please don't take that line out i was like yeah you you see that feeling that you have because i'm saying it that's a beautiful feeling yeah like whatever uncomfortability it has or whatever amount of thoughts that are rushing into your mind right now that's what we want the audience to have like i think too often we want the audience to be comfortable even when we're creating conflict Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I think sometimes we're afraid of the conflict that arises in having characters of, uh, that are non-white because we don't know that experience. Yeah. And we're afraid of the powder keg that could happen as a result because I can't chess match people's reaction to to this thing the way I would if it was someone who was the same skin color as me, me speaking yeah. as somebody who isn't black. Yeah. Um, and so I, I thought it was really amazing to do that. On top of that, I just really love dialogue. And the dialogue in it, really moves you know what i mean i love pinter i love mammoth um yeah. I, I love the you know i love tarantino for comparing it to to movies yeah. um and so i i i usually do probably one play a month uh i mean a year and when i saw this play i was like this is the play to do this year um because the character just goes through these sort of ups and downs and i get to be someone who is altruistic in a way that I am not optimistic in a way that I am not, Mm -hmm. um, and gets to speak in in ways that I enjoy. Um, And I got to be with uh, James Rabiniak, who's an amazing actor who I saw, I want to say 20 years ago, in New York. Um, and he did a one man show, which was the only one man show I'd ever see again. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and so when I got the opportunity to work with him, I, I jumped at the chance immediately. That's awesome.
1: Does the role affect your patriotism in real life either more or less, or no, because you have found a way to just completely compartmentalize.
2: Uh, in general, I'm compartmentalized all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm giving you ten percent of my brain right now. The rest is at Facebook. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, <laughs> it's. I think. I don't think it's. I don't know if it's affected me just yet because I haven't done it on stage just yet. Yeah, reading it once or twice. I don't know. I like there's some symbolism and some things I relate to um, that that I take with me that that attracted me to it. But I don't think I'm going to be affected until I do it, and then I'll I'll have a better answer regarding that. Yeah, okay, people.
1: come back. Re- what, oh. Come back once
2: the plays
0: the play's done. Yeah. So so right now, just to remind everybody, is on Indiegogo, there's a link in the description. Uh they're raising money for it because you gotta pay the people that are doing the thing. everybody. theater's
2: theater's poor and no one makes money in theater, which is why I only do one play a year.
0: Yeah, well, and I was so I was gonna ask you about that. I relate to that because having you know run campaigns for for comics, it's like nobody it's not <laughs> please. <laughs> this isn't how people make money and I need to pay my artists. Um so, so for you, what is the, uh, the simplest version of the questions? What's the difference between doing theater and being yeah, on the TV? TV, and TV? No, but like, you know, what, what for you, like, what's the appeal of doing, um, live theater over maybe doing something on screen? You know, you say you do it, um, once a year, that's clearly a choice. You're not doing it for the money. That's a choice. You're doing it for a reason.
1: That's kind of a lot. Yeah. It's yeah. often to do it comparatively. Yeah, it's.
2: Um, I do it because there's there's literally no other feeling like it. Um, To go there, there's a fear factor and an excitement factor um, because you really don't know what's going to happen on any given night that you do a play, you know, like you can do a scene a million times and they're going to record it and you're going to mess up maybe and then they'll stop and then they'll record it again. And then you'll wait around. Yeah. so this is this is really different in that you're going to be there and you have to be fully engaged for two hours. Like that's the thing about doing theater is that you're playing a character for two hours at a time. When you're doing TV or movies, you're playing a character five minutes at a time. Yeah. Right. Like you do you do that scene and then they cut or someone messes up and then we cut mm-hmm. um, and then we wait and then they change lights for forty minutes. Yeah. Um, and then and we come back. It's 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 why you can get. Uh, you know, no disrespect. That's why you can get a, a film actor who's not as good as a theater actor because we can edit. Yep. Right. Like, whereas, you know, you're on stage, you have to do whatever that other person did. There was one time I did a play, and it's it takes places in, in an office, but they take mushrooms and then things get weird. Love it. So, I my character taking mushrooms. Right. The next scene, things are going to get weird. We cut to the next, we don't cut, it's theater. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we transition yeah. into the next scene um, in darkness. And then what hap- has to happen in theater is that some items need to be removed on stage and some items need to be placed on stage. Yeah. All right? And maybe it happens in darkness in a span of a couple seconds. Maybe there's music and lights to do this and blah, blah. blah. Yeah. So I'm feeling the effects, um, scene change happens. I'm supposed to be seating at a desk or I go to my desk to sit there and start work um my desk is there but the chair is not Mm -hmm. um and there's no way around it yeah um and I don't even really have dialogue the other two characters do so because I'm on shrooms I just sit down Mm -hmm. (laughs) and I sit down at my desk and start working (laughs) and moving things and that and it oddly enough worked because my character was gone and we've entered a new world and yep. you know and we and it's it's a thing of like how do you acknowledge without acknowledging you know yeah. how do you acknowledge without overdoing it and that's not a thing that's ever going to happen in a TV or film right yeah. like that is a that is a once in- a lifetime experience that that audience got to share and that me and the cast got to share that I got to yell at the stage manager about mm-hmm. you know all of these things yeah. <laughs> uh, no. uh yeah but it's a it's a it's a once in a lifetime experience you can't do that like I remember one time that same play at the end of it, it you know we break the third the fourth wall. Yeah. Um I like to break the third wall as well. Yeah. I like to break all of them. You know yeah, exactly
0: second wall let's throw the second wall in there like if we can break <laughs> yeah. these walls let's put up it. more walls i want
2: to break them. Yeah. It's
1: better than building let's build a wall. Exactly. Or you say let's break Don't the walls. Don't build a wall
2: in theaters you know yeah. what i mean. Um but i remember the end of the play um we sort of go like, "Come with us, let's go!" You know, mm-hmm. like as we leave the theater and run to our whatever, you know, our our emotional freedom. Yeah. And uh, I I I would I would hold the hand of the person sitting in sitting in the middle at the very end, like, "Let's go!" And it was this big moment, you know, yeah. what I mean, where the audience got to really be with me. And so I remember I did it one time, and as I went, the person stood up with me, mm-hmm. and we left the theater together yeah. and ran out, and I was like. Holy shit, I didn't know this was going to happen. Yeah. So then I got used to that. I got used to grabbing a hand and having someone wanting to go with me. So one of our last shows, there's a woman in the front of the audience. I grab her hand. I'm like, let's go. And she's like, not really moving. I'm yeah. like, what the hell? I'm like, let's let's get up. She's got like a broke leg or like she's some sort of something doesn't work with her leg. Yeah. I notice, I look down and she, it's like one leg or something. I yeah. don't even know. I'm like, in my head. Right, not on my, in my head. I'm like, oh, you fucking ass. Oh, this is fucking horrible. And then it's a split second. I'm having all these thoughts, right? Yeah. And then she goes, and she leans down, gets her cane, uh-huh. stands up with me, Beautiful. and I take her arm, and yeah. we slowly walk out together. Love it. You know, and it was just magical. What? Like, I got goosebumps right now yeah. thinking about it. And it's just like, that is an experience she can only have there yeah you know like and i can only have there and i don't i i can't repeat you know i can't make that happen ever again even when i was trying to repeat something i couldn't make it happen in the same way and so that for me is the beauty of theater being able to touch people so closely so immediately um in that room and in that experience and hopefully that'll be the same experience with this play just in a different way
1: that's Theater made you as much money. Would you only do theater? Like the, the way you sound, so passionate about it, makes me think that that's the jam. But it's just not a viable livelihood.
2: I, I, I guess I do. I keep saying that I don't want to do it, and I keep yeah. <laughs> I was like an artistic director for, for 10 years, two different uh, theater companies. So it was my life for, for a very period, long period of time. And, and again, nonprofit. Yeah. Um, so I, I might, you know, the hard part about theater is that it's so it's so engulfing. Yeah. You know, you, you rehearse a play for, you know, roughly a month and a half, two months, yeah. you know? Um, so it's a lot of your life. Um, and so that's why it's hard to do that and do a million other things. You know what I mean? If you're not getting paid highly, it's it's, it's two months of rehearsal, and depending on how long a run you have, you know, one to two months of of that. Um, so it's like four months of your life. Um, but my first big gig was a theater gig. It was I did Wit, and I was on tour with uh, Judith Light in the lead role, and so that I that like, is 18, so cool. Like, Oh, yeah, I got to see him naked from behind for like six months.
1: <laughs> um,
2: That's it, cool. it, yeah, it was it was a really wild ride. She gave me one of my first journals uh, to write in, you know, and so that was that was a great experience, but also kind of rough because I was the the youngest person in the group. you know, yeah. I think at the time I was eighteen and oh, wow. the second youngest person involved in a production was like thirty. Yeah. Um, so it was a it was a wild ride, but it was it was a great experience because I got to tour, I got to see America you know i I don't think Americans get to see America as much you know we all could stand to travel a lot definitely outside of the country yeah um but I had never you know as an eighteen year old brooklyn kid i I had never really seen much of any other city or state, and I got to see six of them in in the span of uh you know six months um so you know again, that's a whole other experience yeah
0: so um And When you were talking about it, Rex, you mentioned how passionate you were. It got me a little emotional hearing it. So if people want to have those experiences, support local theater. All right. TV's great. Movies are great. It's great that you can access those anywhere. But if you have a local theater scene, which I guarantee you almost everybody out there does, check it out. If um, you want to support, Malcolm, you want to support uh, live theater, again, go to the link uh, in the description for Brushstroke or go to Indiegogo, type in Brushstroke. It'll pop up. I backed it. You should back it. Check it out. Malcolm, uh, as we wrap up here, as far as the stuff, it, I'm going to tell everybody at home, check out Malcolm's IMDb. There's a bunch of stuff in there you can check out. There might may or may not be a show on Apple TV Plus right now that he's very good in that you should check out. Uh, but for the things you can, you're allowed to mention, what should people be on the lookout for from you?
2: You know, just go to my Instagram. Uh, there'll be some information, I'm sure, yeah. or IMDB. I mean, honestly, I you know, the Indiegogo for Brushstroke is, is a really big deal. Um, that would be great. There may be a show that I'm on that's doing pretty good. Yeah. Um, and then there may be a show about a regular dude mm-hmm. uh, that, <laughs> that yeah. if you wanted to put your eyeballs on, uh, on a network at some point, that might be the thing. One striking over. Um, yeah. But yeah, just follow my Instagram. I, I, I keep people pretty involved there. Verbal be rapping or, or at Malcolm Barrett um, on my Twitter as well. Um, maybe I'm on Blue Ski. I don't know. I yeah, can, it's it's a it's a real crapshoot at
0: this point. I don't yeah. know where we're landing. I wish people no. would just tell me. Instagram is where
2: I definitely <laughs> yeah. am. So definitely go there. Verbal be rapping. I'll tell you all about my, my stand-up comedy and, and what shows you can watch. Yeah. Once once this strike is over
0: follow them check that out roxy what should the kids be looking out for from you
1: you can find me everywhere at roxy Stryer. that's where i post all the things or at least all the things that i'm allowed to post during this time
0: uh you can find me at dj talks trash you can find the show everywhere that matters at only stupid answers but on twitter slash x
1: yank out the vowels from stupid i want to
0: thank everybody that uh joined us live and we will see you all next time bye everybody